0: Chapter three. Part two of Culture and Anarchy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Culture and Anarchy by Matthew Arnold. Chapter three. Part two. If our habits make it hard for us to come at the idea of a high, best self, of a paramount authority, in literature or religion, how much more do they make this hard in the sphere of politics? in other countries the governors not depending so immediately on the favour of the governed have everything to urge them if they know anything of right reason and it is at least supposed that governors should know more of this than the mass of the governed to set it authoritatively before the community but our whole scheme of government being representative every one of our governors has all possible temptation instead of setting up before the governed who elect him and on whose favour he depends a high standard of right reason to accommodate himself as much as possible to their natural taste for the bathos and even if he tries to go counter to it to proceed in this with so much flattering and coaxing that they shall not suspect their ignorance and prejudices to be anything very unlike right reason or their natural taste for the bathos to differ much from a relish for the sublime every one is thus in every possible way encouraged to trust in his own heart but he that trusteth in his own heart says the wise man is a fool and at any rate this which bishop wilson says is undeniably true the number of those who need to be awakened is far greater than that of those who need comfort but in our political system everybody is comforted our guides and governors who have to be elected by the influence of the barbarians and who depend on their favour sing the praises of the barbarians and say all the smooth things that can be said of them with mr tennyson they celebrate the great broad-shouldered genial englishman with his sense of duty his reverence for the laws and his patient force who saves us from the revolts republics revolutions most no graver than a schoolboys barring out which upset other and less broad-shouldered nations our guides who are chosen by the philistines and who have to look to their favour tell the philistines how all the world knows that the great middle class of this country supplies the mind the will and the power requisite for all the great and good things that have to be done, and congratulate them on their earnest good sense, which penetrates through sophisms, ignores commonplaces, and gives to conventional illusions their true value. Our guides who look to the favour of the populace tell them that theirs are the brightest powers of sympathy, and the readiest powers of action. Harsh things are said too, no doubt, against all the great classes of the community. But these things so evidently come from a hostile class, and are so manifestly dictated by the passions and prepossessions of a hostile class, and not by right reason, that they make no serious impression on those at whom they are launched, but slide easily off their minds. For instance, when the Reform League orators inveigh against our cruel and bloated aristocracy, these invectives so evidently show the passions and point of view of the populace, that they do not sink into the minds of those at whom they are addressed or awaken any thought or self-examination in them again when sir thomas bateson describes the philistines and the populace as influenced with a kind of hideous mania for emasculating the aristocracy that reproach so clearly comes from the wrath and excited imagination of the barbarians that it does not much set the philistines and the populace thinking or when mr lowe calls the populace drunken and venal he so evidently calls them this in an agony of apprehension for his philistine or middle-class parliament which has done so many great and heroic works and is now threatened with mixture and debasement that the populace do not lay his word seriously to heart so the voice which makes a permanent impression on each of our classes is the voice of its friends and this is from the nature of things as i have said a comforting voice the barbarians remain in the belief that the great broad-shouldered genial englishman may be well satisfied with himself the philistines remain in the belief that the great middle class of this country with its earnest common sense penetrating through sophisms and ignoring commonplaces may be well satisfied with itself the populace that the working man with his bright powers of sympathy and ready powers of action may be well satisfied with himself what hope at this rate of extinguishing the taste of the bathos implanted by nature itself in the soul of man or of inculcating the belief that excellence dwells among high and steep rocks, and can only be reached by those who sweat blood to reach her. But it will be said, perhaps, that candidates for political influence and leadership, who thus caress the self-love of those whose suffragists they desire, know quite well that they are not saying the sheer truth as reason sees it, but that they are using a sort of conventional language, or what we call claptrap, which is essential to the working of representative institutions. And therefore, I suppose, we ought rather to say with Figaro, now i admit that often but not always when our governors say smooth things to the self-love of the class whose political support they want they know very well that they are overstepping by a long stride the bounds of truth and soberness and while they talk they in a manner no doubt put their tongue in their cheek not always because when a barbarian appeals to his own class to make him their representative and give him political power he, when he pleases their self-love, by extolling broad-shouldered genial Englishmen, with their sense of duty, reverence for the laws, and patient force, pleases his own self-love, and extols himself, and is therefore himself ensnared by his own smooth words. And so too, when a Philistine wants to represent his brother Philistines, and extols the earnest good sense which characterises Manchester, and supplies the mind, the will, and the power, as the daily news eloquently says, requisite for all the great and good things that have to be done, he intoxicates and deludes himself as well as his brother Philistines who hear him. But it is true that a barbarian often wants the political support of the Philistines, and he unquestionably, when he flatters the self-love of Philistinism, and extols in the approved fashion its energy, enterprise and self-reliance, knows that he is talking claptrap, and so to say puts his tongue in his cheek on all matters where nonconformity and its catchwords are concerned this insincerity of barbarians needing nonconformist support and therefore flattering the self-love of nonconformity and repeating its catchwords without the least real belief in them is very noticeable when the nonconformists in a transport of blind zeal threw out sir james graham's useful education clauses in eighteen forty three one-half of their parliamentary representatives no doubt who cried aloud against trampling on the religious liberty of the dissenters by taking the money of dissenters to teach the tenets of the church of england put their tongue in their cheek while they so cried out and perhaps there is even a sort of motion of mr frederick harrison's tongue towards his cheek when he talks of the shriek of superstition and tells the working class that theirs are the brightest powers of sympathy and the readiest powers of action but the point on which i would insist is that this involuntary tribute to truth and soberness on the part of certain of our governors and guides never reaches at all the mass of us governed to serve as a lesson to us to abate our self-love and to awaken in us a suspicion that our favourite prejudices may be to a higher reason all nonsense whatever by-play goes on among the more intelligent of our leaders we do not see it and we are left to believe that not only in our own eyes but in the eyes of our representative and ruling men there is nothing more admirable than our ordinary self whatever our ordinary self happens to be barbarian philistine or populous. thus everything in our political life tends to hide from us that there is anything wiser than our ordinary selves and to prevent our getting the notion of a paramount right reason royalty itself in its idea the expression of the collective nation and a sort of constituted witness to its best mind we try to turn into a kind of grand advertising van to give publicity and credit to the inventions sound or unsound of the ordinary self of individuals i remember when i was in north germany having this very strongly brought to my mind in the matter of schools and their institution in prussia the best schools are crown patronage schools as they are called schools which have been established and endowed and new ones are to this day being established and endowed by the sovereign himself out of his own revenues to be under the direct control and management of him or of those representing him and to serve as types of what schools should be the sovereign as his position raises him above many prejudices and littlenesses and as he can always have at his disposal the best advice has evident advantages over private founders in well planning and directing a school while at the same time his great means and his great influence secure to a well-planned school of his credit and authority this is what in north germany the governors do in the matter of education for the governed and one may say that they thus give the governed a lesson and draw out in them the idea of a right reason higher than the suggestions of an ordinary man's ordinary self but in england how different is the part which in this matter our governors are accustomed to play the licensed victuallers or the commercial travellers propose to make a school for their children and i suppose in the matter of schools one may call the licensed victuallers or the commercial travellers ordinary men with their natural taste for the bathos still strong and a sovereign with the advice of men like wilhelm von humboldt or schleiermacher may in this matter be a better judge and nearer to right reason and it will be allowed probably that right reason would suggest that to have a sheer school of licensed victuallers children or a sheer school of commercial traveller's children and to bring them all up not only at home but at school too in a kind of odour of licensed victuallism or of bagmanism is not a wise training to give to these children and in germany i have said the action of the national guides or governors is to suggest and provide a better, but in England the action of the national guides or governors is, for a royal prince or a great minister, to go down to the opening of the licensed victuallers or of the commercial travellers' school, to take the chair, to extol the energy and self-reliance of the licensed vitallers or the commercial travellers, to be all of their way of thinking, to predict full success to their schools, and never so much as to hint to them that they are doing a very foolish thing and that the right way to go to work with their children's education is quite different and it is the same in almost every department of affairs while on the continent the idea prevails that it is the business of the heads and representatives of the nation by virtue of their superior means power and information to set an example and to provide suggestions of right reason among us the idea is that the business of the heads and representatives of the nation is to do nothing of the kind but to applaud the natural taste for the bathos showing itself vigorously in any part of the community and to encourage its works now i do not say that the political system of foreign countries has not inconveniences which may outweigh the inconveniences of our own political system nor am i the least proposing to get rid of our own political system and to adopt theirs but a sound centre of authority being what in this disquisition we have been led to seek and right reason or our best self appearing alone to offer such a sound centre of authority it is necessary to take note of the chief impediments which hinder in this country the extrication or recognition of this right reason as a paramount authority with a view to afterwards trying in what way they can best be removed this being borne in mind i proceed to remark how not only do we get no suggestion of right reason and no rebukes of our ordinary self from our governors but a kind of philosophical theory is widely spread among us to the effect that there is no such thing at all, as a best self and a right reason, having claim to paramount authority, or at any rate, no such thing ascertainable and capable of being made use of, and that there is nothing but an infinite number of ideas and works of our ordinary selves, and suggestions of our natural taste for the bathos, pretty equal in value, which are doomed either to an irreconcilable conflict, or else to a perpetual give-and-take, and that wisdom consists in choosing the give-and-take, rather than the conflict, and in sticking to our choice with patience and good humour and on the other hand we have another philosophical theory rife among us to the effect that without the labour of perverting ourselves by custom or example to relish right reason but by continuing all of us to follow freely our natural taste for the bathos we shall by the mercy of providence and by a kind of natural tendency of things come in due time to relish and follow right reason the great promoters of these philosophical theories are our newspapers which, no less than our parliamentary representatives, may be said to act the part of guides and governors to us. And these favourite doctrines of theirs I call, or should call, if the doctrines were not preached by authorities, I so much respect, the first, a peculiarly British form of atheism, the second, a peculiarly British form of quietism. The first-named melancholy doctrine is preached in the times, with great clearness and force of style. Indeed, it is well known, from the example of the poet Lucretius and others, what great masters of style the atheistic doctrine has always counted among its promulgators it is of no use says the times for us to attempt to force upon our neighbours our several likings and dislikings we must take things as they are everybody has his own little vision of religious or civil perfection under the evident impossibility of satisfying everybody we agree to take our stand on equal laws and on a system as open and liberal as is possible the result is that everybody has more liberty of action and of speaking here than anywhere else in the old world we come again here upon mr roebuck's celebrated definition of happiness on which i have so often commented i look around me and ask what is the state of england is not every man able to say what he likes i ask you whether the world over or in past history there is anything like it nothing i pray that our unrivalled happiness may last this is the old story of our system of checks and every Englishman doing as he likes, which we have already seen to have been convenient enough so long as there were only the barbarians and the Philistines to do what they liked, but to be getting inconvenient and productive of anarchy, now that the populace wants to do what it likes too. But for all that I will not at once dismiss this famous doctrine, but will first quote another passage from the Times, applying the doctrine to a matter of which we have just been speaking, education the difficulty here in providing a national system of education says the times does not reside in any removable arrangements it is inherent and native in the actual and inveterate state of things in this country all these powers and personages all these conflicting influences and varieties of character exist and have long existed among us they are fighting it out and will long continue to fight it out without coming to that happy consummation when some one element of the british character is to destroy or to absorb all the rest there it is the various promptings of the natural taste for the bathos in this man and that amongst us are fighting it out and the day will never come and indeed why should we wish it to come when one man's particular sort of taste for the bathos shall tyrannize over another man's nor when right reason if that may be called an element of the british character shall absorb and rule them all the whole system of this country like the constitution we boast to inherit and are glad to uphold is made up of established facts prescriptive authorities existing usages powers that be persons in possession and communities or classes that have won dominion for themselves and will hold it against all comers every force in the world evidently except the one reconciling force right reason sir thomas bateson here the rev w cattle on this side mr bradlaugh on that pull devil pull baker really presented with the mastery of style of our leading journal the sad picture as one gazes upon it assumes the iron and inexorable solemnity of tragic destiny after this the milder doctrine of our other philosophical teacher the daily news has at first something very attractive and assuaging the daily news begins indeed in appearance to weave the iron web of necessity round us like the times the alternative is between a man's doing what he likes and his doing what some else probably not one whit wiser than himself likes this points to the tacit compact mentioned in my last paper between the barbarians and the philistines and into which it is hoped that the populace will one day enter the compact so creditable to english honesty that no class if it exercise power having only the ideas and aims of its ordinary self to give effect to shall treat its ordinary self too seriously or attempt to impose it on others but shall let these others the rev w cattle for instance in his papist baiting and mr Bradlaw in his hyde park anarchy mongering have their fling but then the daily news suddenly lights up the gloom of necessitarianism with bright beams of hope no doubt it says the common reason of society ought to check the aberrations of individual eccentricity this common reason of society looks very like our best self or right reason to which we want to give authority by making the action of the state, or nation, in its collective character, the expression of it. But of this project of ours, the daily news, with its subtle dialectics, makes havoc. Make this state the organ of the common reason, it says. You may make it the organ of something or other, but how can you be certain that reason will be the quality which will be embodied in it? You cannot be certain of it, undoubtedly, if you never try to bring the thing about. But the question is, the action of the state being the action of the collective nation, and the action of the collective nation carrying naturally great publicity weight and force of example with it whether we should not try to put into the action of the state as much as possible of right reason or our best self which may in this manner come back to us with new force and authority may have visibility form and influence and help to confirm us in the many moments when we are tempted to be our ordinary selves merely in resisting our natural taste of the bathos rather than in giving way to it but no says our teacher it is better there should be an infinite variety of experiments in human action, because, as the explorers multiply, the true track is more likely to be discovered. The common reason of society can check the aberrations of individual eccentricity, only by acting on the individual reason, and it will do so in the main sufficiently, if left to this natural operation. This is what I call the specially British form of quietism, or a devout but excessive reliance on an overruling providence. Providence, as the moralists are careful to tell us, generally works in human affairs by human means. So when we want to make right reason act on individual reason, our best self on our ordinary self, we seek to give it more power of doing so by giving it public recognition and authority, and embodying it, so far as we can, in the state. It seems too much to ask of providence that while we, on our part, leave our congenital taste for the bathos to its natural operation and its infinite variety of experiments, providence should mysteriously guide it into the true track, and compel it to relish the sublime at any rate great men and great institutions have hitherto seemed necessary for producing any considerable effect of this kind no doubt we have an infinite variety of experiments and an ever multiplying multitude of explorers even in this short paper i have enumerated many the british banner judge Edmonds, newman weeks deborah butler elderess polly brother noyes the rev w cattle the licensed Vitellus, the commercial travellers and i know not how many more and the numbers of this noble army are swelling every day but what a depth of quietism or rather what an overbold call on the direct interposition of providence to believe that these interesting explorers will discover the true track or at any rate will do so in the main sufficiently whatever that may mean if left to their natural operation that is by going on as they are philosophers say indeed that we learn virtue by performing acts of virtue but to say that we shall learn virtue by performing any acts to which our natural taste for the bathos carries us that the rev w cattle comes at his best self by papist baiting or newman weeks and deborah butler at right reason by following their noses this certainly does appear over sanguine it is true what we want is to make right reason act on individual reason the reason of individuals all our search for authority has that for its end and aim the daily news says i observe that all my argument for authority has a non-intellectual root, and from what I know of my own mind and its inertness, I think this so probable, that I should be inclined easily to admit it, if it were not that, in the first place, nothing of this kind, perhaps, should be admitted without examination, and in the second, a way of accounting for this charge being made, in this particular instance, without full grounds, appears to present itself. What seems to me to account here, perhaps, for the charge, is the want of flexibility of our race, on which I have so often remarked i mean it being admitted that the conformity of the individual reason of the rev w cattle or mr bradlaugh with right reason is our true object and not the mere restraining them by the strong arm of the state from papist-baiting or railing-breaking admitting this we have so little flexibility that we cannot readily perceive that the state's restraining them from these indulgences may yet fix clearly in their minds that to the collective nation these indulgences appear irrational and unallowable may make them pause and reflect and may contribute to bringing with time their individual reason into harmony with right reason but in no country owing to the want of intellectual flexibility above mentioned is the leaning which is our natural one and therefore needs no recommending to us so sedulously recommended and the leaning which is not our natural one and therefore does not need dispraising to us so sedulously dispraised as in ours to rely on the individual being with us the natural leaning we will hear of nothing but the good of relying on the individual to act through the collective nation on the individual being not our natural leaning we will hear nothing in the recommendation of it but the wise know that we often need to hear most of that to which we are least inclined and even to learn to employ in certain circumstances that which is capable if employed amiss of being a danger to us elsewhere this is certainly better understood than here in a recent number of the westminster review an able writer but with precisely our national want of flexibility of which i have been speaking has unearthed i see for our present needs an english translation published some years ago of wilhelm von humboldt's book the sphere and duties of government humboldt's object in this book is to show that the operation of government ought to be severely limited to what directly and immediately relates to the security of person and property wilhelm von humboldt one of the most beautiful and perfect souls that have ever existed he used to say that one's business in life was first to perfect oneself by all the means in one's power and secondly to try and create in the world around one an aristocracy the most numerous that one possibly could of talents and characters he saw of course that in the end everything comes to this that the individual must act for himself and must be perfect in himself and he lived in a country germany where people were disposed to act too little for themselves and to rely too much on the government but even thus such was his flexibility, so little was he in bondage to a mere abstract maxim, that he saw very well that for his purpose itself, of enabling the individual to stand perfect on his own foundations, and to do without the State, the action of the State would for long, long years be necessary. And soon after he wrote his book, On the Sphere and Duties of Government, Wilhelm von Humboldt became Minister of Education in Prussia, and from his ministry, all the great reforms which give the control of Prussian education to the State, the transference of the management of public schools from their old boards of trustees to the state the obligatory state examination for schools the obligatory state examination for schoolmasters and the foundation of the great state university of berlin take their origin this his english reviewer says not a word of but writing for people whose dangers lie as we have seen on the side of their unchecked and unguided individual action whose dangers none of them lie on the side of an over-reliance on the state he quotes just so much of wilhelm von humboldt's example as can flatter them in their propensities and do them no good and just what might make them think and be of use to them he leaves on one side this precisely recalls the manner it will be observed in which we have seen that our royal and noble personages proceed with the license vitellus. in france the action of the state on individuals is yet more preponderant than in germany and the need which friends of human perfection feel to enable the individual to stand perfect on his own foundations is all the stronger but what says one of the staunchest of these friends m renan on state action and even state action in that very sphere where in france it is most excessive the sphere of education here are his words a liberal believes in liberty and liberty signifies the non-intervention of the state but such an ideal is still a long way off from us and the very means to remove it to an indefinite distance would be precisely the state's withdrawing its action too soon and this he adds is even truer of education than of any other department of public affairs we see then how indispensable to that human perfection which we seek is in the opinion of good judges some public recognition and establishment of our best self or right reason we see how our habits and practice oppose themselves to such a recognition and the many inconveniences which we therefore suffer but now let us try to go a little deeper, and to find, beneath our actual habits and practice, the very ground and cause out of which they spring. End of chapter 3